Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Don't we all want to let go of trying to be the perfect parent, friend, worker, sibling, and just become a decent human who has a transformative influence in the lives of others? Hi, I am Dr. Caroline Neef and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And in today's podcast, I have such a lovely and freeing discussion with Dr. Lisa Presman, who's a developmental psychologist and New York Times bestseller, on how we can raise good humans, including ourselves. Before we begin today's episode, I want to invite you to join me and thousands around the world doing my annual Brain Detox Challenge. It's not too late to join. In the challenge, you will be working through my NeuroCycle app over 63 days to rewire and heal your brain, helping you kick off the new year right. There is an exclusive Facebook group where you can ask questions, get support, and find more resources. Plus, each week I host a webinar on the app where I answer your questions and share some strategies and helpful tips. To join, just check out the link in the show notes. Dr. Elisa Pressman, I'm so excited to talk to you again. We spoke recently when you interviewed me on your lovely podcast about my book. We had such a great conversation. I loved it. And I'm really thrilled to have you on my podcast to talk about your fantastic book that's coming out in January. So thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I loved that we got to have such a wonderful conversation in, I think that was September, maybe August. So I'm happy to see you again. I know. So am I. It's not often that we get to see each other. So, you know, get so close to see, seeing each other so close to each other, which is really wonderful. So, right. You've got a great book coming out. But just before we start talking about that, we're going to talk about parenting today. And you've got a, an angle on parenting and helping with child rearing that I so agree with. I really think we talk the same language from different angles. So it's so complimentary and I love it. I love your book. I've managed to scan through it and read bits and pieces of it. And I, I love it. I love your five principles, but I just want to, you know, post about you a little bit. You're quite a special person here. I've got your, your got, I've got your bio here. You're a developmental psychologist. You've been practicing for 20 years. You're a a, a professor at the Department of Pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital. You're co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. I mean, you've just got such a great resume that shows that you're so equipped to handle this topic of parenting. So would you mind just giving my audience just a little bit of a background of, you know, your, you, your career, what you do and how you got to writing a book about parenting? Sure. Well, I, I was actually in graduate school and you know the difference between the different types of psychology, but most people don't ever hear about developmental psychologists or developmental psychology or realize they might be hearing about it because it's not the lens of psychopathology and it's not Mm -hmm. the lens of even assessment or evaluation or treatment. It's really typically more academic and it's about how we come to be who we are and looking at change over time. And it informs clinical psychology and it informs neuropsychology, but it's not typically parent-facing. 
And so when I was in graduate school and I was planning to do all only academia, I had my babies and I was like, wait, there's so much really interesting stuff here that is not just when there's something going wrong, but yeah. that would be really relevant to all families for, for just out of the gate. It's super supportive. And I was so excited by the fact that there's information that sometimes gets stuck in academic textbooks or you mm-hmm. only get to it if something's going really, really wrong. But there's so much pre- prevention we can do. And then simultaneously, I had a, a friend of mine who was finishing her medical school work and she was in charge of resident training programs at Mount Sinai. And she said, would you guest lecture about child development. And I came in and long story short, it came to be, I was so surprised that pediatricians have no no formal training in child development or parenting when it comes to emotion, behavior, like all the stuff that actually comes their way more than it comes to any of our ways. And so I, I was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> and at the, this pediatrician, her name is Dr. Blair Hammond. She was like, this is so fascinating. Attachment was nothing she had ever heard about. And mm-hmm. she didn't know about so many of the things that I thought were like, of course, everybody who works with or about children knows. And mm-hmm. I certainly didn't know anything about medicine or medical school. And so we kind of decided it'd be really cool to infuse some of the environmental support into the resident training. And then it's been many years now. And over the years, we realized that that was something we could scale across other hospitals. And we really felt like, oh, where do most families seek support? They just seek it when they're going to their pediatrician and their well child. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of wanted to train healthcare providers while they were still emerging in their mindset, not after they've been doing it for 25 years. And so it just kind of grew from there. And we spend a lot of time trying to figure out all the different areas in medicine where it would be really helpful to not do a handoff because something isn't specifically diagnosable, but to just provide support for parents. Oh, wonderful. You know, you say about the developmental psychology, I'm so pleased you made that distinction because it's the first time on this podcast we've actually made that distinction. And I actually also, part of my degree, we had to do developmental psychology. And I found exactly that same thing happening in my early years. I did a lot of lecturing as well and the universities in South Africa. And it was very much, as you say, everyone goes straight to the pediatrician or straight to the doctor when they have a psychological type problem, but they don't have training in that. I don't know, like like you have, I've trained thousands of, hundreds of, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of physicians, nurses, pediatricians who've said the same thing. You know, people come to us for mind-related stuff, but we're not, you know, we're not really equipped to deal with that. Yeah. And that's such a huge gap, but that's the way the whole biomedical model has gone is that doctor, medical doctor knows everything. They don't. And it's not fair to put that pressure on them. And so this is, yeah. And this is why, it's, and I mean, you've got years of study. So if I, you can't expect a doctor to be a, go through all the years of medical training, plus know right. all these things as well. But the public is not made aware of this kind of thing. So I'm so glad that you brought that up in this conversation to under, for, for people to understand that 
developmental psychology is very specific. It's not, and it's, it's, it's a big field and it's a lot of stuff. And that's where your expertise lies. And, you know, you train doctors like I used to train doctors. And this is very significant to help people understand that the advice you bring is coming from a fantastic, solid expertise base. So this is really great. So I just wanted to, I was excited to hear developmental psychology. I haven't heard it for years. You know, I know because it's so niche. It's so funny. So niche. It's so niche. It's like, to me, some of the stuff that we learn in this field is so mind blowing to people, but it's just not part of the conversation or no, it's not. It comes out in other areas and other fields, but its origin story is in developmental psychology. And it's such an incredible, specific way of looking at the world. And I think it's super helpful for parents and it's super helpful for practitioners. So. It is super helpful because it, as you said, also crosses over into developmental neuropsychology, neuroscience, medicine. It crosses over into all fields. And it's, I think what I loved as well is that you said preventative, proactive. That is huge. And that's a huge part of what I do is help people be proactive, but you shouldn't just be putting the, you know, fixing the problem. You should be preventing the problem. So coming to that now, you wrote this book for that reason. Obviously all your skills. So tell us why, why you wrote the book. And, you know, well, I kind of know why you wrote the book, but tell us more why you wrote the book and also what people can expect. What is your approach? And that, and then I'd love to dive into your five principles. They're really, they're really great. So, and, and they're familiar to anybody in this field. So I wasn't coming up with anything revolutionary and I'm really clear about that in the book. I'm, I'm framing the science that has been tried and true. And we're, we've been looking at it for decades and decades and it has evolved. And I think it's been really wonderful how neuroscience has been able to corroborate a lot of the work that was, I think. Now, when we talk about things like relationship being so powerful, it seems so obvious, but it wasn't obvious when Bowlby was talking about attachment theory. It was just Mm -hmm. a new concept. And so I wanted to write this book to take the beautiful research that we have in the developmental science and how it is can truly be the difference between support and resilience and a kid and parent who isn't thriving but doesn't quite know why. And I wanted to make it simple and I wanted to make it doable. And I feel like there's so much stuff out there telling parents what they're doing wrong and what they need to be doing that's focused on that stuff that doesn't really matter. That how can parents know? Like, how could you possibly know what matters and what doesn't matter if yeah. you're being inundated with the minutia of like, how many pieces of food and where they were grown or like exactly the spot that your baby should be sleeping or any of those things. So you start to lose sight of the importance of connection and relationship. And I think when I wrote this book, I thought to myself, what is controllable, teachable, and will benefit children? And so that's where I came up with the five core principles. And I really just wanted them to be easy to remember. So I made them all our words. Yeah, but, it's great. <laughs> but they encompass the the developmental science. And so the first is relationship. The second is reflection. The third is regulation. The fourth is rules. And the fifth is repair. And some of those words are very well known in this field, like repair and relationship. And actually all of them 
<laughs> for yeah. all pretty well known. And, and so that's the pathway to resilience that is in what I feel is in our control in that it's parent-centered. So we can't control our children, but we can control ourselves. And so these, if we, if we keep leaning back into the part of, of parenting that we have actual control over, it can change the game and it changes the brain architecture, as you know, and you talk about. So these things really do matter and coming up with what really matters to you as a parent and your values and your child's temperament. And then using those five core principles and leaning into them, you really do have the answers to the majority of challenges that come your way. Then there are the challenges that you absolutely need professional help and support. And these don't, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't need these same principles. It just means you also need extra support. So I wanted to kind of write this book to set every family up for maximum success on their own and then know where to get the support when you just need a little bit more. I'm so excited to share with you guys an incredible scientific breakthrough in the world of healthy aging and longevity. C15 is the first essential fatty acid to be discovered in 90 years. And get this, Studies have confirmed that it is three times better, broader, and safer than omega-3. Fatty15 co-founder Dr. Stephanie Van Watson discovered C15, the first essential fatty acids to be discovered in 90 years, while working with the U.S. Navy to improve the health and welfare of dolphins in San Diego, helping them to live longer with less chronic illness. Indeed, Fatty15 is the world's first pure science-backed C15 supplement designed to support healthy aging and long-term wellness. It has three times the healthy aging cell benefits of omega-3 or fish oil. It's also made from a patented oxidation-resistant form of pure C15 derived from plants, which means it's vegan-friendly, free of flavors, fillers, allergens, or preservatives. And C15 is the only ingredient in Fatty15. It's 100% pure. C15 works in multiple ways. It repairs age-related damage to cells, protects them from future breakdown, boosts mitochondrial energy output, and activates pathways in the body that help regulate our sleep mood and natural repair mechanisms for healthier aging overall. This functionality leads to a myriad of exciting benefits now as we age, namely improved metabolic, liver and heart health, smoother functioning joints, deeper sleep and healthier hair, skin and nails. Fatty15 is on a mission to replenish your C15 levels and restore your long-term health. You can now get an additional 15% off their 90-day subscription starter kit by going to fatty15.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and using the code Dr. Leaf at checkout for an additional 15% off your first order. That's fatty15.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and using the code Dr. Leaf at checkout for an additional 15% off. The link and details will be in the show notes. You said something there that is very key and that is you can't control your children. You can't control them, but you can control yourself. And that's like a major part of parenting is recognizing that the control is in yourself. The other day I was interviewing someone and they said the only thing that we can control or, or change or whatever is the only thing we can change in another person as a child is, is the baby's diaper. Then after that, once they're out of diapers, that's it. I thought that was such a great way of explaining I love it. that. I know. Wasn't oh my that, God. I told her I have to quote her on that. It was such a good comment. But yeah. that is so, you know, it's, it does, it starts with ourselves. And I know that when you interviewed me, we talked about that as well, because when people have asked me, what's the 
first thing that I would do to help with mental health with children, I'd say work with the adults. We've got to know how to work on ourselves and change ourselves. So I'd love you to talk talk around that because your five principles are geared towards us as parents and yeah. then reflect out to the child. So can we dive into each of those principles yeah. and maybe explain and give an example? That'll be wonderful. And I love how you do it in the book. I mean, you go through this in the book, but there's just those principles are very catchy and easy for people to remember the basic uh, concepts. Well, I'm always trying to think about how we can make parent and caregiver lives easier. Sounds like every parent needs that. (laughs) So relationship is pretty major because we know that a close connected relationship with one adult caregiver who loves and supports you and sees you for who you are and is there for you can respond sensitively. And that means noticing validating, laughing, connecting, touching, being in relationship can move the needle for kids who are experiencing any kind of stress. And so if it's positive stress, great, we need that for resilience. If it's tolerable or toxic stress and you have this relationship supporting you, it makes the difference between fragility and resilience. And so What I think is so heartening about relationship is that that alone can move the needle. Like, let's say your child is exposed to a toxic stressor. And that's a big, huge, harmful stressor we wouldn't wish on anyone. It doesn't grow resilience. It's just terrible. And we wouldn't want something like that, but it happens. And in those cases, we see that children who experience any of those kinds of stressors in the context of having a loving supportive caregiver can be moved into what's called tolerable stress and that can build resilience. That has a shot at having beautiful outcomes. And so that the power of that relationship to me is so heartening because even though parenting can be so overwhelming and even though, God, there's so much on us as parents, the idea that there is something we actually can control that makes that much of a difference to me is like the weight of the world off of our shoulders because that I I feel like I can do that. I can find a way to laugh with my child. I can find a way to let go of my agenda and all the things that are coming my way and just take a moment, take a breath and be in connection. And sometimes that's not intuitive because of the experience we had being parented. And sometimes we need to do the second principle. I mean, sometimes who, who of us doesn't need to reflect? Exactly. Um, and so, so when you find it challenging to be in relationship with your child or anyone for that matter, and when it feels like I, I am too set off, I don't have capacity to be grounded in this moment. That's where reflection can save us because can go back to our own experience of what is a relationship? What is a healthy connection? And if we don't know how to find it, we can work on it. We can really do our children such a favor by saying, oh, wait, when I cried, nobody wiped my tears. Nobody hugged me. Mm -hmm. They just said, fuck up and you should be so lucky or whatever the response was. And Side note, invalidated everything, Mm -hmm. invalidating everything, even though we're all going to invalidate things sometimes because nobody's a robot, nobody's perfect. 
But if you reflect on that and you let yourself feel the sadness of what that must have been like as a child, then you can let go of it and move toward your intention with changing things with your child. And that moment doesn't take a lifetime. If you really commit to it, it can take just a moment. You just take a breath and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? And what about that is about right this moment and my child and me? And what is about 30 years ago? And can I put oh, that to good. Side, right? Like, can I just say, okay, that's valid. I'm going to get to that. I need to unpack that because I need to be there for my child right now. And I, I'm now noticing, I'm reflecting. I seem to get really triggered when my child cries. I need to figure out what it is about that. And I'm going to do that. But right in this moment, I owe them putting that to the side. I'm going to take my suitcases of baggage and I'm going to put it to the side. And then I think the reflection back to our kids is also part of reflection so that we can help them with that really sophisticated way of thinking of what is this? What do you, what do you think that was about? Hmm. I wonder why you got so angry just now. So, and you have this when, when, you know, the example of like writing all of these things down on a piece of paper and just looking at it and trying to figure out what it is that you're, that you're upset about. Mm-hmm. That's reflection. You're giving your child an opportunity mm-hmm. to be in this practice before their adults trying to rewire themselves, but actually starting them off that way. So reflection is really important and we don't get to skip it. And I think the easiest way to do reflection is to take a breath and remind yourself, oh, right, I can't just act on autopilot. I can't just be reactive. I have to give myself, I have to give myself a moment to have space, to have the freedom to respond as a parent the way I actually want to and not the way my nervous system is telling me to. And then that goes into the regulation and regulation for both self and co-regulation to me is also like, I mean, all of these are just the holy grail of it. Yeah. Yeah. So when you've taken that breath and you've reflected, you are essentially allowing yourself not only to self-regulate, to get yourself to a place of making the decisions and having capacity to manage your emotions, your thoughts, and your actions, and your attention. But also, you can lend that nervous system to your child who is not necessarily, in fact, impossibly ready to just be Mm self-regulated. And so I think when people understand, and if they listen to your podcast, they definitely understand that these brains take many decades to develop And if the capacity for full self-regulation doesn't actually, if it's housed in the part of the brain that isn't fully developed until you're an adult, how can we ask children to do that without borrowing some of our nervous system? Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. It's too much. And even adults, I mean, when we talk about regulation, if we just think of a moment when we were set off, we know that even an adult is going to get dysregulated. So Mm -hmm. to expect that we can just have a child learn a lesson once and then never have that dysregulated state again is unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So that's why both co and self-regulation are so important, taking a breath and really 
I, I think of it as turning off your internal alarm system with a passcode. And I, I always think about, I moved to California over the pandemic and I lived in New York City before that. And I grew up in New York City and this will sound ridiculous to anybody who didn't grow up in New York City, but I feel so safe in apartments in New York City. I feel like somebody's around me at all times. I never once had an alarm system because I just was like, I'm in a building, I'll just yell. And then I moved to California to this house in the middle of a beautiful canyon where nobody's around. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I got like a ridiculous alarm system. It's ridiculous. It's like at a driveway at the back of the, you know, it's all over. And I'm sure I I should reflect on what in the world is going on for me that I need such a ridiculous (laughs) alarm system in this lovely part of California. But yeah. I'm walking in and there's like a beeping sound that's very slow for about 20 to 30 seconds before the alarm would go off. And it gives you time to put your Chinese food down and your backpack down and press the code. And I remember listening to it the first time and thinking, that's that 20, 30 seconds we get to decide if we can self-regulate and great internal alarm system or stress response. That it's not, they don't need to call the firemen and the policemen and the ambulance because it was a false alarm. Just need the passcode. And then everybody's okay. There's nobody coming to steal things from the apartment or kidnap or do anything terrible. It's just our body needs to get practice pressing the passcode to the alarm system and knowing the difference between a false alarm and a real alarm. And of course, there are times when a real alarm is very valuable. So we need yeah. a stress response. But that's how I think of self-regulation is figuring out what your passcode is. And I know for me, I put my hand on my heart. I take a few deep breaths in through my nose and out through my mouth. And I have a little oh, thing that I say to myself. But, you know, and everybody has a different one. Yeah. And so that's regulation to me. And the the simple version of regulation. I love it. Oh, I love it. I love that alarm example. It's it's such it's great to have the analogy and and it's so true that pause just makes all the difference in how we do the next moment. And as you say, sometimes it may be that it totally calms you down and the next moment's not as bad as what it seemed, or it is bad, but then at least you've taken that moment to get into a state of wisdom. You've got that feel of peace going through, you've accessing the wisdom part of you so you can make the right decisions, you're getting your mind aligned with your brain and body and you know, you're getting yourself to a state where you can actually deal with whatever's coming up. But just to bamboozle into it or just to fall into it is, is not great. So that self, yeah, I, I can't agree enough. I mean, self-regulation has been a huge part of the work that I've done for nearly 38 years. It's like, it's critical. And I like what you said about the fact that our children, their minds and brains and bodies are developing. So you said something very nice. I've never heard it explained like that before about how we should share our nervous system, the whole concept of co-regulation. To, you know, the expectation you can't show a child once who's eight years old or nine years old or three years old or even 15 years old and expect them to act like you as a whatever 40, 50 year old, whatever you are. They, they don't have that yet. So you, it's you modeling that multiple times. And even what about us as adults? I mean, what about the habits we get into? What about the mistakes we've wired in that are definitely not self regulated? So the the grace we need to give our kids and we should be. and there should be so much grace around kids. And, and I don't know if you agree. Sorry, I, I, I just want to make throw this out and see no, I do. what you're saying is that in terms of 
like I often say to parents and to my, I mean, I'm a mother of four. My kids are all adults now. We've got one grandbaby who's nine weeks old. I was just holding her for a few minutes just before I came into the, into the oh, show. Yeah. Just totally dereg, just was total. Oh. It, it was my little deregulation thing. It was yeah. so cute. But I often say, and I, it, I know you say this because I've read something similar in your book that children don't, aren't trying to be difficult. They're not trying to misbehave. They're not trying to pull your buttons. They will push your buttons, I should say. They are just trying to send you a message. And it doesn't mean that you don't deal with the consequences. You address that too. We can't, you can't hit your brother. You can't throw your toys out the cot, kind of, you know, whatever that looks like. And we have to deal with those consequences. And that behavior isn't the ideal behavior, but the recognition that they didn't do that because they just wanted to do that. They did that because there's something going on. So we teach them an alternative behavior and a consequence, obviously, but we've got to address, okay, I see you. I hear you. You know, that, that first part, the relationship thing. The reflection, let's now reflect on this is not who you are. You're doing this because of something. You know, they reflect the re- relationship, the reflect, and then the regulations. So it, to be, it, you're bringing that into your, into your connection with the child too. I'm just reflecting back at you, just how I'm processing what you're saying. No, it's exactly. Right. And then, of course, what comes next are the rules, which, you, go? you know, it, it like, it, it's exactly the map. And the one thing that you just made me think of about regulation, and I want to go to rules because I do think that parents are like, well, then what, you know? But I was thinking about how people always say, you know, you know, no one can make you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then I think, find me an adult who walks into a room with people who are laughing and doesn't crack a smile or start laughing, even though they don't know the joke. Or when you walk into a room and two people are arguing, but even when they get silent, you walked in and don't want to be tacky and yell in front of you. Everybody knows. Everybody's Something. everybody's nervous system is kind of like, Ooh. you know, like you feel it. <laughs> so I just encourage people to think about co-regulation. Yeah, it's good. So we are not we are not so independent in this world everybody else doesn't impact us. And it's not about blaming people for your feelings so much as acknowledging that we're interconnected and this is what it is. So I think that's a beautiful thing once you accept it and it helps you regulate and it also helps you to your point of that compassion and grace we give our kids because nobody wants to be out of control. I mean, when I lost it with my daughter, I don't know, a couple of days ago, I picked her up from school and she was... It was one of the dumbest things to get upset about, but it was at my own stuff because I didn't want to be late and now I was going to be late and whatever. And her sister, her sister, her friend was getting in the car and I was like, like, I told you where we were. I just like lost it. And I was very quickly mortified and in a shame spiral for losing it. And I apologized. And then we took the whole car ride where they both kids were kind of making fun of me for how hypocritical I was. (laughs) I'm and sure they loved that. <laughs> totally. They loved it. And, you know, beautifully, like we made a repair and we yeah, you know, you earned got it. over it and they're not scared of me. So, they, you know, it was fine. Everybody makes mistakes. But, oh, man, I was thinking like, I am, I didn't want to mess up like that. How would, who wants to do that? That's, no. once you, children do not want to mess up and misbehave and do anything that's going to upset people. But. This is what this part of the gig. <laughs> it is. It's the messy mind in action. It's part of yeah. who we are. It's our humanity. And it's how we grow and repair. As you said, to repair is leading to the growth. And if we don't have something to repair, how are we going to grow? How are we going to learn? Yeah. Uh, so that's, 
I always say the messy mind's a gift. I mean, that's the, the, you have to control it, but it's part of that repair portion as you talk about in, in your five principles. So no, I love that. So you, the, the repair is that, is have we done, do you want to do more about the, oh, rules. the, the regulation and then the rules? Yeah. Do you rules. Know? Okay. It's so hilarious because we're just in then, such passionate agreement. Yeah, we are. So we jumped to the repair before we even did the rules. So, totally. <laughs> so rules are, you know, just I needed an R word for boundaries and limits. And of course, with all the relationship and reflection and regulation, it doesn't mean that when kids make these mistakes that we just are like, I love you and don't worry about it. We're never going to, there's no consequence, whatever. It means we've, when we do set the rules and we have the consequences that they are so intentional and loving and clear. And so I, I put boundaries and limits in the same bucket of, you know, one is about the separation of other and self. And here's my expectation and my space and what, what I accept and what I don't accept. And I'm clear about it as a parent. You know what to expect of me and what I expect of you. And the limits let children know our expectation of their behavior and what keeps them both emotionally and physically safe. And if something doesn't, then we have to say there are either natural or logical consequences. Mm -hmm. And they're never just like punishment because we're trying to make you suffer. But just like you, you know, throw, you throw a toy at your brother's head you're losing that toy. Like that toy yeah. is not, you're not ready to use that toy. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense. It's a lesson and it's probably not going to be the lesson, but it's going to be a moment where, okay, that toy is not, it's, it's not, we got to put it away. This is, we have to keep your sibling's body safe. And that toy and your regulation right now is not able to keep it safe. Mm -hmm. So it's not about like just connecting and loving. It's loving with limits. So that's rules. And there, the one thing I'll say is I had to put it in because so many parents confuse like all these different sort of trendy. Gentle parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think that they hear gentle parenting or sensitive caregiving and they're like, well, I don't know what to do because when I try to, take the cell phone away at night, my child gets angry with me. And I'm like, you you don't control how your child feels. You set the limit that the phone is not with them at night. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to be angry with you. They're allowed to cry. They're allowed to even scream at you. And you can decide you don't want to hear somebody screaming at you and go to your room. But it's good. You know, you're not, not going to have a rule because you don't want it to hurt their feelings. But it, Exactly. Like, it's like, yeah. They've got it's not safe. No, it's life skills. They've got to. We've kind of got to focus on what are the life skills that a person needs to survive, yeah. and what does your child need to learn that's age appropriate. And you know, and there's certain things like you're not going to sleep well if you don't sleep well. That you know, the cell phone. Also, maybe you're reading things you shouldn't, or maybe that person who bullied you at school. You don't need to be going to bed reading that. Uh, you know, you need yes. that space and whatever. So there's reasons, and you can explain it to the child. But as I, I like how you said that. You don't have to deal with, you don't have to listen to the anger, but they're entitled to feel that anger because they're expressing it, but they're learning as well that I can be angry and you would respect that anger because they're frustrated. But at the same time, that's the rule that's good for them. And yeah, I like that. I don't mean to repeat you. I just was, I think it's great. Yeah. it's it No, I love it. It, it. it means so much to me when a colleague is able to, like when we're, I feel very in line and peaceful and joyful when 
it feels like this is the stuff and it's not like mm-hmm. revolutionary. It's just about basic principles. Yeah. Just being fluent in it enough that you don't have to go like, wait, what am I supposed to do right now? Wait, what is this? So I just want people to have yes. the fluency that we get when we're in this field and it's so, it feels obvious, but it's actually not super intuitive sometimes because there's a lot of information and noise being thrown away. There's so much, so many of the mom influences and, mm. you know, it looks like it's curated. I mean, there's just so, there's so many great mom influences too, but there's so much danger that's in that because of the pressure it puts on parenting and like a parent's supposed to be everything and you can't and it's always your fault. It's everything's your issue. You If something's wrong with a the child, then everything's your fault. And when they've grown up, there's a lot of that move as well with people working on stuff. It's always that mother bond. I mean, sometimes I think, geez, look, being a mother is one of the most difficult things and you do your best and you blame for everything. And especially in today's culture, and yes, it's valid that our, we do impact our children. I'm the first to say that I messed up my kids. And at the same time, I'm the first to say I also taught them. I also owned my mess and could I acknowledge that and, and I'm also want to say that every parent messes up their kids. That's and it's funny. not in it's not intentional. It's because we coming from our own messes and our parents' stuff and their impact. But if we don't have the regulation, if we don't have the relationships, if you don't have the, the relationships allow the conversation and the regulations, I can say, Oh my gosh, I'm if you don't create the environment where your child could say to you and laugh at you in the car and say, Hey, you being a hypocrite and you allowed that. You didn't stop that. Yes. You made the mess, you allowed the mess. So that, that is messing your kids up, but you allowed them to re- to tell you, hey, mom, that was wrong. You owned it. You regulated it. You said, you saw the impact. There was the level of a, whatever kind of apology, which is so good to apologize to our kids because you're teaching them. And then you moved forward and that that's healthy. But to pretend you know everything as a parent or to die in guilt because you're not doing what every mom influence is doing out there, that makes parenting absolutely awful. And the last thing that I, that I always like sort of say around this kind of com- comment is that we do need to acknowledge the impact of our parents on us. I, 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 I actually want to ask this as a question. We need, let me ask it as a question. We need to acknowledge that our parents impacted us and that impacts going through to our children, whatever we haven't processed or worked out. It's inevitably going through plus the other life experiences. And that's, but if we tune into our kids and their, our relationship with our children, we can then see the impact of our parenting on us and on them. And then we can fix that. We can actually heal our own wounds. But at the same time, we have to, uh, honoring our own stuff, we have to honor the fact that they they also were hurt by that. So I'm so sorry that my reaction that came from X, Y, and Z has had that impact on you. There's that collaboration of solving the bonds that broke down from various relationships and the impact and you can stop it going further and you both grow and repair which is now dived into repair you just I? that okay, is okay sorry yes <laughs> did i just do repair well let's just repair, repair. you and stimulated me elisa sorry i just no it's like so all this wonderful. came out it's okay. exactly everything you described okay, and you, you did, did better than me i'm sure so go for it no no <laughs> it's exactly that and this is why repair allows us to have some grace with ourselves, give ourselves the grace and be able to know that we just have to get it right more often than not. It doesn't have to be perfect and we can make repairs. And what you said that I think everybody needs to hear loud and clear is that without disrepair, without dis- discord, you can't strengthen any relationship. <laughs> and so it would be a disservice to your children to get it right all the time because you wouldn't have the opportunities for repair, which is what I tell myself when I'm trying to make myself feel better. 
Exactly. And it, it, I, I do that too. <laughs> but it's actually <laughs> the truth. It, it does make really you feel better, but it's the truth. It's when and we deny it that's the issue. When we pretend it's not there, when we justify, when we push yes. it aside, when we don't allow our, chil- our children to to challenge us. I mean, I've been in situations, I don't know if you ever have, where my children will challenge me and say, mom, that's not the right thing. Or you, that really hurt me. And their friends or another adult or something will say, or even my mom used to say, why do you allow your children to talk to you like that? So because how else are they going to learn? I did something that hurt them. I said something that was the wrong thing to say. I'm glad they called me out so that I can apologize, find out where it came from so I don't do it again and help repair the damage I did. That's the collaboration we need. But that's very difficult parenting, but it's good parenting. It is so <laughs> difficult because it's like the feeling of, well, then they're going to find it. I'm not perfect. But if you keep reminding yes. yourself, what a burden to grow oh, up gosh, your parent was perfect. And now you find out that either they're a fraud or you're yeah. horrible because you know that you can't be perfect. I mean, it's, a bur- it's burdensome. So unburden our kids by letting them know that we make mistakes and we make repairs. And also, and this is goes back to a little bit of the baggage, but it's part of repair. It's like, if you grew up in a household where there wasn't the mistakes that got repaired, you either grow up feeling like, let's say you meet someone and you, you're having a beautiful relationship and it's romantic and loving and you get into a fight or you make a mistake and you just assume that it's over. Because there's no solid foundation because you didn't have the modeling of like, there we go. We just had a disconnect. I made a mistake. I am taking ownership of this mistake. You have a right to call me out on it. And it's not going to end my relationship with you. So I think it also like it just bolsters the future and the present relationship. So I think that's what we were joking that like we tell ourselves that when we mess things up with our kids. but. It's true. It's really true. And we just have to also make repairs with ourselves. So when I say those five R's, it's like each one is with our kids, but also with ourselves. And we have to be able to apologize to ourselves for doing something harmful to ourselves, for berating ourselves for whatever crappy parent you the butt Yeah. Whatever the moment is and say like, I'm, I want to make good on this. And I want to think about how I can do better next time. And all of those things, if we can do this more than we don't do it, I think our kids are going to be pretty okay and we're going to be there to help when they're not. Exactly. And you know, Lisa, that doesn't end. I mean, my oldest is 32, my youngest is 25 and they all work for us. All four of our children work for us. And the, the even still my 32-year-old, I'll say something in a certain way and she'll say, hey, mom, that really hurt me. So it, it doesn't end. You, you, you're parenting you know, this it's, repair, it's, this repair thing, this relationship, all these five hours, they, they, they continue just differently at every stage of life. And it's, then it, be, it becomes this collaborative, beautiful, facilitated relationship, which is, which is what it's all about in the end of the day, isn't it? And you're giving yeah. them the tools for the, for the things that will happen. It's, that we all know life is going to throw at us, you know, and it gives them the tools because they've got that strong strength. The foundation is there. And actually, that's why I did the R's because I wanted them all to be the foundation for resilience. Which is lovely. It's it's a nice thing. It's like the formula formula for resilience. There you go. In the spirit of self-care, today's sponsor, OneSkin, is here to help you simplify your skincare regimen. Founded by four PhDs dedicated to skin longevity, OneSkin proves you don't need a complicated routine to achieve better skin. 
Their topical supplements make it easy to help your skin stay younger and healthier without all the extra steps. The secret? One Skin's Propriety OS01 Peptide. It's the first ingredient scientifically proven to reduce the buildup of senescent cells, those notorious zombie cells that contribute to skin aging. Fewer zombie cells mean healthier, younger-looking skin with fewer lines and wrinkles, reduced age spots and a stronger natural barrier, something that's especially important this time of the year. Your skin does so much for you. Return the favor with one skin. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They create next-level skincare. Alongside my management routine, OneSkin's products have become an essential part of my daily wellness routine. I especially love the OS01 Eye Topical Supplement, which has dramatically improved the wrinkles and bags around my eyes, giving me a more refreshed and youthful glow as I go about my day. One Skin truly is more than skin care. It's about skin longevity, targeting the root causes of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. Get started today with 15% off using the code DRLEAF at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code DRLEAF. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to expect more from your skincare routine. Invest in the health of your skin with one skin. The link in details will be in the show notes. And that's in us. Resilience is part of our makeup, but we can either unmask or mask. And that yes. the, the, but the comment you made earlier on, and I'm not, I know you know this, but the gentle parenting, the there's so many beautiful elements of all of that. But if you if you go too extreme on one either side of the ditch, you're going to actually mask the resilience. So by not letting a child learn and see the consequence as well as allowing them to, hey, you don't throw the toy out the cot. You don't get angry like that. You don't hurt your brother with it. We'll remove that from you now, example you gave. But you know what? I know that you threw that for a reason. So when we've sorted out your brother crying and we've removed the toy and we'll work towards earning that later on, let's now talk about why and go through that process of where did that come from? I know that's not you, that kind of thing. You're teaching them how to manage the mental skills to manage their own stuff as they're going through through life. It's, it's just, it's it's equipping. And that unmasks the resilience versus go to your room, that's bad, don't hurt your brother, you don't hurt your brother, yes, you don't hurt your brother, but go to your room. What have you taught them? You've actually masked resilience and yeah. it's created confusion and resentment. And, and I know these times, my, my, my daughters will, we very seldom did the go to your room, but we did do it because I grew up in an era where that was how I grew up. And I stopped it very soon when I realized that this is not the right thing to do. But there were times that I did do it when four young children and my kids will remind me and I have apologized. And they'll, even then something will come up and, oh, you sent me to, because it happened so seldom. That when it did happen, it was they such remember. a big deal. <laughs> Boy, do they remember. And they bring it back. And that's okay. You have to be, that's something, I don't know if you feel this, but as a parent, even with an adult of maybe 25 or 32 or 28 or whatever age, if they come to you and there's a conversation happening over the dinner table and it's maybe Thanksgiving or something and a conversation comes up and it's, hey, mom, you did this. You sent me to my room for that. We, it's don't fall apart. Don't start, you know, like say, wow, this is an opportunity to grow, to repair, to improve your relationship. You don't have to deny. You don't have to get upset. You need to say, I'm sorry. Did I do that? I mean, oh, yes, I remember that. Oh, my gosh. Let me explain why I did that. It doesn't justify it. That's where I was coming from. It opens a way of understanding and exploring. 
that's how I see it. I'd love your opinion on that I, kind of thing. I completely agree. And it brings back, repair comes back around in the circle to relationship. And it's like, if we shut down that stuff, we lose these moments of reconnection. And I love that we get chances over and over. <laughs> like, it's just this beautiful thing. And I love the idea. And I felt this way, but you can't, you know, they asked me to give an age range, you know, for, for the five principles. And I was like, zero to a <laughs> hundred. Like, like, when is this not relevant? And zero to 110. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, so it's like it, I do really believe that at every point in every connection and, and honestly, in any of our relationships that are really meaningful to us, this is what we, yeah, to, to lean on to know. This is how it works and it makes it so doable. It's so manageable because it's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a person. It's definitely like motherhood is in particular just, I, I It's think, so difficult. It's, yeah. I mean, like you, we both have lots of degrees and lots of qualifications and lots of research behind us and do a difficult job and work very hard, but this is nothing compared to parenting. Nothing. Oh, no, working so much parenting my four kids. Oh, yeah, infinitely. Writing a science paper, seriously, (laughs) which is like such a difficult thing to do, is is way easier than parenting. And I agree. I I I think it's like you you almost sometimes I'm like I have to I work as my like this is very easy. It's like one plus one is two. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I know what to do, and it feels comfortable. And with parenting. Especially because we're like no stuff. We're supposed to know. It's like the and I have I have done these things where I have because I remember in graduate school like doing gazillions of observations of dyads, parent-child dyads. Yes, and I would, yes. Mm-hmm. And then you're scoring them and analyzing them, and then I would, especially when I had young children, I would be in my head like I just gave myself a one. Yeah, yeah, I remember that so clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's so difficult, but it's the most, I mean, it's so cliche, but it is the most valuable thing. It's the most rewarding. Yeah, it's the most rewarding because when you do get through some repair that's like really challenging where you've done all the five R's, the relationship and the reflect and you go through the whole thing and you get to that repair, that relation, that, that, that smile you give each other, you know, that, that, that hug. It's just, it's, it's infinite. It's like you can't, you can't, put a, a number to it or a, or a, a sort of limit to that, which is, which is why we keep doing it, why we keep having babies and keep having children. And now grandbabies. Yes. Oh, that is a whole different ball game. Oh. It's like, it's amazing. Nine week old. And we were here for the pre, you know, all the labor and the delivery and we've been with, because they live, they live close to us. So we see them all the time. So it's just, and in between I was working, as I said, just before I came to, because I've had such a busy morning. And then my daughter brought the little baby over to me and I could just hold her and hug her for a few minutes. I'm sitting there eating lunch, holding the baby, doing some work. It was just wonderful. It just gives you that little boost of get back into oh, the yeah. get back into the, the flow again. You know, it was beautiful. I can't nobody can see me, but I'm smiling so big and my I feel so much warmth because it's so it's like you it's you so just, true. And some people can see you. This is on YouTube as well. So people can oh. see and, and they can if they have it, they want to see your smile, guys go over. She has a beautiful smile. Elise has a beautiful smile. So I wanted to ask you, oh geez, I lost that page. You wrote about uh, I think it's on I don't know what chapter it is now, the mirroring. You spoke about sort of the brain and mirror mirroring, and it's kind of around. I thought it'd be great to chat a little bit about that. 
because of what we were talking about now. But you've also got some nice tables in your book. Hang on, where did this? Oh, hang on, I had it open. Where did this go? There we go. I got too many things open. Here we go. I got it. Commit to sensitive caregiving. And then it was a section here with, where did I have it? And that was, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't this, because you kind of covered the sensitive caregiving where you were kind of getting, you know what, talk about, talk a little bit about sensitive caregiving, because I know I wanted to ask you about that. And then while you're doing that, I'm listening. I'm just going to flip down to the question I had. Okay. So talk about sensitive caregiving. And then also just talk about how you've laid out the book. You've got some nice little guides and things for people too. Okay. So the way I laid out the book, and I, I'll use sense of caregiving as an example, is I, I made the book, the first half is the science. And it's basically what really matters according to the science for raising good humans, for ourselves, for raising good parents. And so I really wanted to say, here's the science that matters and here's why. And then the second half of the book is kind of from page to stage. Like, how does that get interpreted in everyday experiences of parenting with everyday challenges, whether it's infants or your teenagers? And so I use examples developmentally for each one of the challenges, whether it's at-home challenges, school challenges, interpersonal challenges. I've, I tried to cover everything that has come my way over the years, but I wanted to use the science in the first half. and then I. I divided up in the challenges. I just put a little note every time I was doing a reflection, a relationship, a repair, regulation, a rule, anything that kind of walks everybody through it. And the reason I did it that way, instead of separating it up by each principle, was I wanted to become like so fluent mm-hmm. that you know when it's happening because you're in this, you know, so if you're talking about sensitive caregiving, So an example would be, you would say to yourself, am I seeing my child for who they are or am I focused on what I want them to be doing or what Mm -hmm. I want them to become or any of that stuff? Can I just look at what they need? Am I attuned to them? What are they feeling like? What is our, what what is their temperature? What is their look on their face? What's happening for them? So you, what do they need right now that's developmentally appropriate, even if they don't like it? What do they need right now? And then it's that sense of like, all feelings are welcome. All behaviors are not, but all feelings are welcome. So let me just let them know what I see. I'm reflecting, I'm looking at you. And what I'm seeing is you're really upset about your brother. I don't know. Now I can't think of a single example. Yeah, that always happens to me too on the spot. (laughs) But you're really upset and I'm going to name what's going on for you to reflect back or let's say your child is coming back, they're older and they're crying because their friend was really mean to them and this is the fight that they're having. In When you're a sensitive caregiver, instead of fixing it, instead of saying that kid is such an idiot or you don't, you know, let's go get ice cream or why would you, what did you do wrong? You really first take that pause and look at them. What do they need right now? They need you to reflect back what you heard and what you see so that they can feel like you get it. Before you go fixing anything or before you go judging anything or before you go getting the ice cream or whatever it is that you think is how are you really being sensitive? It's because you're seeing exactly what's going on and you're reflecting it back and accepting it. Like this is how they feel. And that is all they need to know is that that feeling is welcome. 
even if afterwards you say, so if that's the reason why you then said something nasty to that person, you still can't say the nasty thing. But I I get why you had that impulse. And we'll figure out later when you're feeling better, like what you could do to make repairs with that person. So in that that moment is first letting your child see, I get it. I get what you're going through. And I'm not judging it because I'm just here for you. And I'm going to reflect back what I think you're telling me or trying to tell me. And that's it now. And that, you know, and for a baby, it might be, I see I need to hug and cuddle with this baby because they're a little dysregulated and they have no capacity to get themselves calm. So it's just about noticing, seeing who this little person is and what they need in that moment. Mm-hmm. And is it is what they need appropriate for you to give them? Like not what they want, what they need. Mm, that's lovely. It's like, I see you. I see you. Not what I want you to be, but I see you and your need. And you know, we've been going for an hour and I have another interview. And oh my gosh. I, and then... Unfortunately, we have to, re- no, don't even, apply. it's been fantastic. And the, the thing I was going to talk about was the sort of, I can't find the exact quote, but we've kind of covered it. It's how our children will mirror us. So our, and we, in the beginning, we spoke about how important it is to how, how you handle yourself. It, your, your whole five R's is like, start with yourself first, and then your child will mirror your activity. And I wanted to just emphasize that, you know, you'd commented on that, it caught my attention. So I was, I was very pleased about that. So no, wait, thank, yeah, I think that's a good, just thing to remember is like, you don't even need to spoon feed the teaching to your kids. They are absorbing it through observation and mirroring. Yes. Even if they don't have capacity yet, they're going to exercise those muscles over time. Yes, Go they've got the, the, their, their observation, their reception is much more advanced than their expression. And we yes. mustn't, and we mustn't under, undervalue or not see their, their level of insight that they have. So that's, yeah. And no, I agree with you. This has been delightful. Thank you so much for joining me on cleaning up your mental mess today and I've really enjoyed it and all the best with your book where can people find you find the book find out more about you yes I'm on Instagram at Raising Good Humans podcast the book is on sale wherever you get like to get your books the five principles of parenting and I'm on DrAliza.com fantastic thank you so much it's been wonderful chatting see you next time bye bye I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline E. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual 
medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.